John chapter 8, we're going to finish our time in John chapter 8. Next week we'll be moving into chapter 9. And um, so our text begins in verse 48. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you, have, that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall, note this, never see death. Then the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? And the prophets are dead. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say he is your God, yet you do not know him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, so and so passed by. And Father, we pray that you would teach us, Lord, this is your word. I pray that each one of us would realize that this is your word. This is not something we just do on Sunday morning. I hope it's not something we just do on Sunday morning. I hope it's something that we look forward to. I hope it's something that we, we recognize that we have a great need to worship you in song, in spirit, and in truth, to worship you by opening your word and studying the scriptures together, corporate, the corporate teaching of your word. And I pray, Lord, that we take these realities home with us and that we're worshipers at home throughout the week and we're students of the word at home throughout the week. So, Lord, teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. You might have noticed in our text today that there were four questions that were presented to Jesus. The first question is found in verse 48. The question reads, do, you not, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Now, you'll note that Jesus doesn't answer any of these questions, uh, so I'm going to answer them for him. You say, well, that's presumptuous. I'm just simply drawing from the text, drawing from what we've already seen and what we see in our text today. Chapter 8, if all we had was chapter 8, we'd be able to draw these conclusions. They ask the question, are you not a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus would obviously say no to both. The second question, found in the first part of verse 53, are you greater than our father Abraham? And Jesus, if he bothered to take the time, he, he didn't seem to 
want to answer their questions, he would have said, yes, I am, because I am. If you're following, you're cluing into what I'm referring to. Verse 58. The third question is also found in verse 53. Who do you make yourself out to be? And based upon what we see in John chapter 8, Jesus would say, only what I've been saying from the beginning. The fourth question, verse 57, have you seen Abraham? And the answer, of course, we know from the scripture is that he not only saw him, but he spoke to him. You might have picked up as I was reading the text as you were following along that in verse 58, once again, we see Jesus declaring his deity, declaring himself to be God. Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. We'll come back to that toward the end of the teaching. But going to the first question, you are a Samaritan and have a demon. Remember, guys, when we looked at John chapter 4 and Jesus's encounter with the Samaritan woman and how she was shocked. She was surprised that Jesus would even dare speak to her, let alone ask her for a drink, you know, that he might, as a Jew, dare drink out of her vessel. There was this mutual hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritans were the byproduct, as you know, of the Assyrian uh, captivity that took place there. And uh, many of the Jews and the, the um, Assyrians uh, had children together, and so their offspring would be considered the Samaritans. We know from John chapter 4 that the Samaritans, they worshipped differently. Um, they worshipped at Mount Gerizim. The Jews, the Hebrews, of course, they worshipped in Jerusalem. That was where God said that the temple was to be built. And so for them to say that Jesus was a Samaritan, in essence, they were calling Jesus a heretic, among other things. And to say that Jesus had a demon was to say that he was out of his mind, that he was unclean, and that he was evil. And I can't help but think of the fact that people love to curse and mock Jesus. They did then, they do today. I was uh, in Home Depot. I'm always in Home Depot. I should be, I should be a, a, a secret shopper or something, you know, in Home Depot. But um, I was in there, and it was one of those moments where you almost, you know, I, I don't think I'm a Karen. I, that, isn't that mean to call people Karens, especially if your name is Karen? Because you're like, no, anyway. But... Um, <laughs> But I was there, and it was one of those moments where you had two employees talking to each other, and the customer was kind of, you know, in the way. One of those times, moments, you know. But it was interesting, as they're talking back and forth, they're, they're, they're mocking one of their coworkers because the coworker dared ask the fellow to go to a Bible study. And so the two of them in their little booth, you know, up in the gardening section were mocking the Lord and mocking their co-worker and everything. And I'm just thinking, oh, man, it never ends. It's interesting. I mean, it's been said. I'm not saying anything you don't know already, but you could, any deity or man-made deity, there's only one deity, that's God, that's the Lord. But any man-made deity, Hebrew deity, or a Hindu deity, excuse me, you know, I think there's 7,000 of them. 
Um, you never hear their name used as a, as a curse or as a mockery, never. Muhammad, never. You never, you never hear him being mocked. Or, or Buddha, the Buddhas, there's many Buddhas. But of course, Jesus Christ. I mean, you could even just say his, his, his name and title, Jesus Christ. And if you say it with the right tone in your voice, you're mocking you're, you're using his, his name almost as a, as a curse word. And Jesus says, listen, um, you know, sticks and stones, <laughs> he doesn't say that. He says, I, I'm, I'm simply honoring my father. I'm here, I'm honoring my father. I'm bringing glory to my father. Uh, you guys are dishonoring me, uh, verses 49 and 50. And without knowing, by dishonoring me, you're really attacking my father, who you claim to be children of. So you see the irony of, of the whole thing, just the, the confusion. These folks, of course, they didn't know who Jesus was. Jesus was declaring these things. They would come to understand, of course, after the crucifixion and resurrection, and, and some, no doubt, would come to believe in Jesus. But verse 51 is what I want to draw your attention to because, of course, that's the verse and the verse that, that follows that really kind of grabs our attention. If anyone keeps my word, if anyone keeps my word, the person who obeys Jesus, the person who keeps his word will never see death and then down, never taste death. And at, at face value, you might hear these words of Jesus or read these words of Jesus, and you might be thinking to yourself, well, I, I, I think I'm kind of with the Jews. I mean, they were, they were saying, what are you talking about? Abraham? Abraham? Are you, Abraham's dead. The prophets are dead. Jeremiah's dead. Isaiah's dead. All these guys are dead. How could you say that if we, if we keep your word, we'll never see death, we'll never taste death? You know, guys, it's so important as students of the Word of God that we pay attention to what we're reading. And what I mean by that is not just pay attention as we're reading, but as we're reading, you know, as the Spirit leads us maybe to go back at something we just read and to reflect upon that so that we can get a greater insight. You know, uh, what is the thing? Is it snap? chat or whatever, I'm not savvy on all these things, but things, you get these little messages in, in a short period of time, and a lot of people have kind of trained themselves that way. So, you know, you might approach the scripture and you say, well, here's a little paragraph, here's my Snapchat or whatever it's called, and so that's what Jesus said, that's all he said, there's the message. No, 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 no. Let me show you what I mean. I, I know I'm just rambling here. Go back to verse 24. Verse 24, chapter 8, we're not going to leave chapter 8, verse 24. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. Look at, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Well, well, that, well that ties into what we just read in our text today. And then look at verse 31 and 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Look at verses 
34 through 36. Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Verse 39. Then they answered and said, to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, look at this, note the word if. If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Remember the works of Abraham. Abraham was declared righteous. Why? Because he believed God. So faith is the work of God. We saw this in John chapter 6 when uh, the folks, they came to Jesus. They want you know, their bellies were filled. They'd like another free lunch, if you don't mind. Jesus calls them out on that. And then they tried to, you know, wrap it in a spiritual package and say, what good works must we do to do the works of God? And he says, believe on him whom he sent. See, guys, there's this pattern as you're following the words of Jesus. Sometimes we get confused and we get kind of lose what, what the message really is. Well... Look at verse uh, 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceed forth and came forth from God. And then the verse goes on. Look at verses 46 and 47. Which of you convict, convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Hmm. He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. And then one more stop. Verse 53. Most assuredly, or 51, excuse me. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. So that brings us back around to where we started. So what does it mean? What does it mean to never see death? I mean, all of us have loved ones. You know, my, my mom went home to be with the Lord a few years ago after coming to faith late in her life, you know, but we have that assurance based upon what the scriptures teach. She has placed her faith in Christ when she died, when her body left or her spirit left that body on that day. Um, she, we, we look and we say, she's dead. She's died. She's experienced death. She's tasted death. She's seen death. So what in the world was Jesus speaking of? What does it mean to never see death? I took you on that, that venture, looking back at those verses. I suggest to you that this is what it means to never see death. And I'm going to put it in the negative. It means not to die in your sins. It means not to be eternally separated from God. You say, I'm not following. Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15 says, Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You, you want your name in the... Lamb's book of life. How does it get there? Place your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. Know what it says. But the cowardly, 
the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I suggest to you that to never see or never taste death means not experiencing the second death. Guys, what does the Bible teach? What does the New Testament teach now that Christ has gone to the cross, he died for the sins of the world, whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He is the lamb who was slain before the creation of the world. The Bible teaches that now for the believer that we are in Christ. So for the believer, when we die or our spirit leaves our body, the Bible teaches that we will be absent from the body and present with the Lord. You say, yep, that's it. But that's not how it always was. In Luke's gospel, many times people say, oh, Jesus was just telling a parable, one of his many parables. The problem is, is that nowhere does it state that it was a parable or even hint to the fact that it was a parable. I'm referring to Lazarus and the rich man. Remember Lazarus? He was poor. He had sores. He was in want. He had a rough life. There was a rich man. He lived with plenty they both die. Where do they go? They do not go into the presence of God. They go to Abraham's bosom. Well, Lazarus did. There was a gulf between Abraham's bosom, or paradise, and a place of suffering, of torment. The rich man is there. He is so presumptuous to suggest that Lazarus dip his finger in some water and touch his tongue to give him some relief. And then he suggests that maybe Lazarus can be raised from the dead because if someone raises from the dead and, and goes and, and tells his brothers about this place, this place of torment, because the man realizes, you know, this is a real place and I don't want them to come here. And remember what was said, there's a gulf fixed between you and him. And um, even if one was to rise from the dead, they will not believe him. We have this picture of really the way things were. Guys, we need to wrap our minds around what the Bible teaches. I think there are people who think that, well, you know, God, he's kind of fickle. He kind of changes his program. Moses and Noah and... Joshua and Nehemiah and Caleb and, you know, Abraham, of course, starting it all out, the father of faith. All of these men, well, they were saved by sacrifices and offerings. No. They were saved by faith. The sacrifice and the offering, because remember, the sacrifices began before the law was given. It began with Abraham. Abram, he offered to the Lord. The Lord spoke to him, made a covenant with him, that his descendants, that, 
that, that those would come from his body, that, that they would be a blessing to the world. And then the Lord spoke prophetically of his seed, singular. We know this from Galatians. The seed, not speaking of the Hebrew people, but the seed speaking singular of Christ. That Christ is a seed that comes from Abraham's body and would be a blessing to the entire world. And Abraham hears these words and he believes the Lord. The sacrifices, the offerings, they came, of course, they became established when the law was given. I think even that we see God's grace and mercy. He gives a law. He gives a law that no one could can really uphold. We know this because it's not just the doing of the deed, but it's the heart, the attitude. Any true believer, you look at the law. You know, I, I grew up in the Catholic Church. I believe that, you know, as long as you keep the Ten Commandments, you're going to heaven. I mean, I don't know why we never made a connection. Well, we didn't even own a Bible in our home, Catholic home. But I don't know why we never made the connection to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount when he took from the law, from the Decalogue, and not just the Decalogue, but from the, the, the 300 and or 618 uh, laws given to Israel. He takes from those laws, not all of them, but a few of them, and he elaborates. And it's apparent, if I, if I lost in my heart and no one knows it, I'm guilty of adultery? The Lord said, yeah. If I'm angry with my brother, and our newer translations, some translations insert without a cause. You'll note the little marker there that says, not found in some of the older manuscripts. It's not with If I'm angry with my brother, it's like I've become a murderer in my heart. Yeah. See, it's almost as if, it's not almost as if, it is, <laughs> that the Lord just kind of pulls the rug out from under everyone. And we realize this is the law, this is God's standard, and I can't keep it the way it was meant to be kept. Woe is me, is there any hope? And of course, in comes our hope, Jesus, the Lamb of God, God in the flesh, the one who stood in our place, took our sins upon him, died in our place, so that we might take, in one sense, his place, a place of acceptance by the Father. It's so glorious. I mean, the gospel message is absolutely beautiful. But you know, guys, nobody went to heaven, nobody went before God until Jesus died on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, then Abraham, he's no longer in Abraham's bosom. Abraham... All those who died in faith are in the presence of the Lord. Why? Because the Lamb of God, <laughs> if you're following this, this is so important. Because a lot of Christians, they're not thinking biblically because, frankly, we're not spending enough time in the Old Testament to realize that Christ is the only means of salvation. They died in faith, looking forward, understanding very little, obviously, we, we look back, we believe in faith, we look back, we look at the cross, we have much more insight and understanding, but our hope is not 
In our good deeds, our hope is in the finished work of redemption of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. Note that. For the suffering of death. What was the purpose of Christ? The purpose of Christ was for the suffering of death. That was the purpose. Crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, listen, might taste death for everyone. Guys, all of these things tie together. We need to understand this. All of these things, you know, they, they give us insight so that we might understand what Jesus was referring to. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he wrote, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? Listen, the sting of death is sin. What did Jesus say in, in chapter, chapter 8? He says, you will die in your sins. Why? Because you have not believed in me. You have not believed that I am he. Do you see this, guys? It says, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, he says in verse 55, but I, I, I do know him and keep his word. Remember another place Jesus says, I ever live to do his will. I mean, Jesus perfectly fulfilled the will of God. I mean, we don't come close <laughs> in a long shot. And that's why we need Christ so desperately. But I believe that the Lord wants us to be able to say, I do know him and keep his word. And I believe that we can know him, truly know him, and keep his word if we, and again, going back to what we've already looked at, if we believe, that, believe what Jesus says about himself, I am he, verse 24, I am, verse 58. I believe that we'll be able to say, I know him and keep his word if we abide in his word, verse 31. If we love him, verse 42. If we hear God's words, verse 47. If we keep his word, verse 51. Do you see the emphasis upon the word of God? Do you remember how John opened his gospel account? In the beginning was the word. And the word was God. Lagos was the word that he used there. Jesus he is the word of God. He is, he, is, he, is like a, he is like a spoken word. So what is God like? Well, let me tell you. But Jesus is the Lagos. So he says, let me show you. I'm like the spoken word. If, if, if I had a thought in my mind, it's, oh boy, you should, if only you knew what I was thinking. You say, well, come on, Dan, give it up, you know. Tell us, speak it, tell us what you're thinking there, you know. And, and it's really concealed until it's revealed in the speaking of the word. And really the character, the nature of God was limited at best until Jesus, the incarnation of the invisible God was manifested. 
Now, some may say, you know what, Dan? That sounds like you're adding to what the gospel says. It's faith, it's, it's faith alone in Christ alone. We, we love these slogans. And I would say amen to that. I would say definitely. Salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. By the way, this isn't, uh, you know, it, it, sometimes a slogan can, can take place of, of, of the word of God if we're not careful here. But I would say amen. I agree. I agree that true faith in Christ believes that Jesus is who he claims to be, verse 24. I believe that true faith in Christ abides in his word, doesn't take it lightly. You know, I love to see these Bibles on your laps because that tells me you're taking the word of God seriously. Have you ever been to churches where people don't bring Bibles? I, I have. It's amazing. I, it's like, golly, you are trusting people. You're trusting that man in the pulpit. <laughs> I love what Paul says, you know, be as the Bereans, you know. The Bereans were noble in his eyes because they listened to what he said, but they searched the scriptures to see if these things were so. Not that we have to be hypercritical of everything that's being spoken, but if we're people who know the truth of God, there's going to be a confirmation or there's going to be a red flag that goes on where we say, oh, whoa, maybe I need some clarity on this. Maybe I need to ask a question about this afterwards. But true faith loves him, verse 42. True faith hears God's words, verse 47. True faith keeps his word. Well, I'm almost out of time. Verse 56, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Do you know that there was about, a little less, but about 1,800 years between Abraham and Jesus? 1,800 years. And so Jesus says, um, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it. He was glad. And so they say, which you know, kind of speaks... You kind of wonder what Jesus looked like when we know that he was in his 30s, early 30s. And they said, well, you're not yet 50, you know. Maybe he looked a little torn, you know, in that earthly body. I don't know. But you wonder, well, when did Abraham see Jesus? You know, guys, Jesus is seen. It's spoken of him in the volume of the book from Genesis to Revelation. And I'll tell you, it's a beautiful thing when you study the scriptures and you th see these theophanies. Theophanies, so it's um, the presence of God or a Christophany. A Christophany is a pre-incarnate, so before the, you know, the birth. Because remember, Jesus didn't come into being when he was born in Bethlehem. He is the I am. Right? That's what he stated. So, but, um, but when, when did they spend time together? Well, Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18, verse 7. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Do you remember the account? This is an account that a lot of churches don't want to talk about today because this is one of those things that you could get in trouble for. But it's the word of God. I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He doesn't go to Lot and tell Lot what he's going to do. He goes to Abraham, and he tells Abraham what he's going to do. Genesis chapter 18, verse 22, Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom. 
But Abraham still stood before the Lord. You say, well, that's just symbolic. He was just standing there by himself. No, no, no. Read the account. There were three. And then two went to Sodom. Jesus wasn't there at the door, knocking at, at the door when these men wanted to have relations with him. When Lot was saying, oh, don't sleep in the court or in the city square. You can't. That's dangerous, you know. Come on in, you know. It was two. It was the angels. But the Lord was with Abraham. Genesis chapter 18, verse 26. So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sake. Who's he speaking to? Well, the Lord is speaking to Abraham. Remember that whole bargaining thing, you know, got down to 10, you know? <laughs> Did it go down further than that? And then Genesis chapter 18, verse 27, then Abraham answered and said, indeed, listen to what he says, indeed, now, I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Abraham understood what was happening. He was speaking to the Lord. So you say, so you think that's what he meant when Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. You think that's what he was referring to? No. I think he was referring to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, we have a snapshot of the heart of the Father. Do you know, guys, it's worth noting as you are studying the scriptures, words that are first mentioned. The first time the word love is mentioned in the Bible, it speaks of the love of a father for his son. Did you know that? Did you know the second time the word love is used in the Bible, it speaks of the love between a man and his bride? I think that's important. Not just for us who are married, but the fact that we, the church, or the bride of Christ, you know. But in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham, uh, he's told, take your son, your only son. I mean, just the words that are spoken. Take him to a place I'll show you. Um, the lad carried the wood up the mountain. What mountain? Moriah. Um, why is that significant? Because that is the mountain where the, the temple sat, the temple of God. You say, but, you know, I think it's worth noting, when you go to Israel today, of course, there's two locations you could go to. Uh, one location, a church is built over the location, and they believe that's where Jesus was crucified. Or you could go to another location, Gordon's tomb, that's outside of the city gates. Um, uh, there's a boulevard there, busy boulevard. Kind of go outside of the city gates, you go across the boulevard. There's a little garden there. And, um, and it's an interesting place because we know that Jesus was crucified at a place called Golgotha, which is the place of the skull. And yet even to this present day, <laughs> this little hill there, has what appears to be the face of a skull. 
it's been preserved all of this time. Um, it, it's kind of a, a weird place because there's an Arab bus station right there. So you could smell all the diesel and all the fumes from that. And you look up, and here's this, this hill that looks like two hollow eyes and a hollow nose. It looks like a, the face of a skull, the head of a skull. But I think it's worth noting that when you're in the garden, if you look back across to where the Temple Mount is, so Mount Moriah, the Temple Mount, you see that that same mount just continues over to what appears to be Golgotha. Do you see, guys, the point was is that God faithfully gave Abraham a snapshot of what he was going to do to redeem humanity. I think, personally, that when Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, it wasn't just to see the days that Jesus was on the earth. I think it was seeing my day. Why did Jesus come? I came to die. To die. That day. That when Moses saw that day in picture form, as he's living it out, as he's acting out these things. Remember the writer of Hebrews tells us that um, by faith, Abraham offered up Isaac, his son, believing that God could raise him up. You see what I mean? The, the, the pictures are just phenomenal that we have the gospel. We have the gospel. We have the gospel in the genealogy of Genesis chapter 5. We have the gospel clearly presented in Genesis chapter 22. We have, the, we, have, we have the gospel clearly seen in Psalm 22. I mean, we, we have these snapshot pictures throughout the whole Old Testament of what Jesus would come and accomplish. Beautiful. Well, I'll end with this. Verse 58. Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I've met people, you've met people. They say, nowhere did Jesus ever claim to be God. You know, guys, <laughs> listen. Um, have you picked up on the fact that Jesus seemed to have enduring patience and love for the common man? It did not seem to have much patience at all for the religious leaders. He held them at a higher level. At times it seemed like he was frustrated with them because you do not know these things. Remember when he talked to Nicodemus? You are the teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? See, he wouldn't rebuke if there was not a means of knowing these things that he's speaking of. Maybe not in detail, but at least the shadows of what we see in the Old Testament, you know. I, I think that there are people who are missing what Jesus said, and yet you look at our text and the Jews knew precisely what he was saying. How do we know that? Because they picked up stones to throw at him. <laughs> Blasphemy. You're making yourself equal to God. I am. It's a, it's a, 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 a title of, of deity. Exodus 3, verse 14. Isaiah 
41 verse 4, 43 verses 11 through 13, and here John chapter 8 verse 28. They knew precisely. So what do we do with all this? Well, for me, as a student of the Bible, I say, uh, which thank the Lord, I learned this a long, long time ago. Somehow the Lord imprinted this upon my heart the day that I received him as my Lord and Savior. He gave me a love for his word. Nehemiah, you can come up, please. He gave me a love for his word. And thankfully, because, you know, sometimes we just don't feel like reading, right? Sometimes we don't feel like praying. You know, part of growing up as adults, we realize there's a lot of things we don't feel like doing, but we do anyway, right? You guys going to work tomorrow? <laughs> you feel like going to work tomorrow? I mean, you know what I mean? We just do it. We teach our children this at a very young age, you know. School tomorrow. Even if it's homeschooled, school tomorrow. Oh, mom, I don't want to. No, we're doing it. We're teaching them. There are things that you do. You might not like it, but you, you do it. It's a discipline. And people who are disciplined always benefit from the discipline in their life. They do. And the people who are not disciplined, boy, chaos, no structure. I look at our text today, and I'm reminded, not that I need to be, but I'm reminded, your word is so important to you, Lord. You want me to abide in your word. If I'm abiding in your word, that's truly a manifestation of my love for you. It's not just enough to say, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord. But the proof of my love for you is that I'm abiding in your word. And as I'm abiding in your word, my mind is being transformed. I'm thinking differently. I'm thinking biblically. How does that happen? Is it magic? No, it's the spirit of God who dwells within the believer who says, I yearned for this. I inspired it. I inspired the writers to write these things. You're a new creature in me now. This is spiritual nourishment <laughs> to your soul, to your spirit. And as we feed upon the word of God, You know, guys, I don't want to throw a whammy at the end of the service here, but, but, you know, it seems like there's always something new on the horizon. And I won't bring up the things that are on the horizon. Some of us have heard it. Some of us have gone, aw, and hung our heads as we heard the rumors, hoping it doesn't come to pass. Others of us have digged our hills in and said, I'm not going to be moved this time either. And we take our stand. But where does the boldness come from? Hopefully the boldness does not come from the arm of the flesh, but it comes from the spirit of the living God who says, I haven't given you a spirit of fear. I don't want you to walk around in fear. I want you to walk around as you are, victors in Christ, you know. I want you to be messengers of hope to a world that needs 
hope desperately, desperately. Weak sheep. I, I, I tell Mariel, you know, there's that, that country boy that's come out with that song that's real popular. And everyone likes that song. And it's a song for the downtrodden American. And I told Marielle, I said, this is what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping for a, a new Jesus revolution. <laughs> and the victory song will be zombie. Not, not the Cranberries version. Was that a zombies? Yep. But the weak sheep version. I love it. I love it. I love it. Because it's true. Every time I listen to that song, I listen to it every day. Not just because my daughter wrote it, but I, I love the song because to me, it's just a reminder. The sarcasm of how basically do we stay the same, weak, you know, never grow in your faith, <laughs> continue to listen to the voices out there, to the lies, make men your gods. Or we can be people of the word of God, trusting in the word of God. I'll put more, one more plug in since I've already embarrassed her. But uh, the next song on the album is Dead Church. I don't know where she gets these titles. You know, where she gets these songs. No, I know exactly where she gets them. But um, Dead Church. And I love it. I was listening to it on the way in today. Lord, I, I think I need a king-size bed or however it goes. And, and just kind of the self-focus. And then it's... And Jesus, foxes have their holes, and the Son of Man did not have a place to lie his head. I mean, it puts everything into perspective. And this is what we need, Christians. So I'm not suggesting that you get a weak sheep album to get the right perspective, but I am suggesting that you get into the Word of God so that you keep the right perspective. Amen? Amen. Let's stand, please.